Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. So good evening, good morning, uh, good afternoon, depending on where you are uh, in on the globe. Uh, I am delighted to be back with you again this week and uh, introduce to you someone who uh, has has written a new book, and so I'm excited to hear about this book, um, who is a leadership development speaker and, and visionary technology and business exec uh, with a lot of expertise in security, managing risk, and leading an uh, inc- inclusive culture. So I'm, I'm delighted to have with me uh, this evening Andy Ellis. Welcome, Andy. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate you having me here. Well, so good to have you. And I, you know, Andy, I always like to just jump in because I, you know, the thirty minutes goes so fast. I see that you, yep. uh, you, you've served in a, a variety of roles, uh, and I'd love to hear, if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got here. I know you're a graduate of MIT and um, have been in the Air Force. You, you were an Air Force officer, uh, so I'm fascinated yep. by that, and would love to hear more about how you started and what got you here. Yeah, so uh, I went to MIT. I was actually kicked out after my freshman year for uh, not bothering to attend classes. Uh, I spent four years away uh, working at Disneyland, uh, working in the the hospitality industry as a bartender and wine steward. I went back to MIT on an Air Force ROTC scholarship. I got my degree in two and a half years, Mm. which was uh, quite an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sir, and then served in the Air Force doing information warfare and uh, weapon system acquisition. And then when I got out, I went to join Akamai, a company which either you know who they are, you know, huge tech company doing infrastructure and security for the Internet. I uh, was there for 21 years uh, leading the security practice. I was the chief security officer there. And then for the last two years, uh, I've been the operating partner at YL Ventures which focuses on seed stage cybersecurity startups out of Israel. Oh, wow, fascinating. Uh, and especially when you, you talk about security, what we, we hear so much is that uh, the Internet is not a secure place. Uh, what is it exactly that you do to make, uh, at least from a business perspective, uh, what do you do to make it a secure place? So I think you, you look at the Internet and you, you say it's not a secure place. Neither is reality. And yeah. so the, the trick isn't to make it secure. It's to make it that right balance of secure. Now, the challenge mm-hmm. is on the Internet, like people can commit crimes from the other side of the planet. Um, you know, they don't have to hold you up at you know, gunpoint in your home. They can just sort of steal your, your wallet um, from the other side of the world. So the, the balance is a little bit different. And a lot of it just comes down to really good design. The challenge is on the internet is that we redesign every piece of software, every piece of hardware. It's such a fast pace that trying to get people to do what you'd say is the right thing is often very challenging because they're sort of chasing, like, how do I get to market faster? 
it's not like cars, which haven't really substantially changed in the last 30 years or houses Mm -hmm. that haven't really changed in the last 2000. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. And so, um, so you, you, the, the work that you're doing is uh, really about putting to get, putting uh, together teams that, that uh, go out and, and make the place, I guess, how can we call it uh, a, a better, I guess, easier uh, to do work. Right, without- make it easier for people to do more security at scale. Cause think uh, of it like, imagine if you bought, when you bought a house, Imagine if you had to go install locks on all the doors yourself instead of them coming with locks, uh-huh. or you had to build an alarm system from scratch instead of calling up an alarm company and they just show up, you know, slap on the alarm for you. And now you have a monitored system. And so think of just doing that for the internet and its scale. And so, you know, right now my focus is, you know, how do you find problems that haven't been solved yet? Find yeah. innovators who want to fix them, you know, fund them, help them get to market with a good scalable product so that more people can be safe and, you know, hopefully you profit along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. And so how did you get to the point? I know, so you, you have done security and clearly yep. being in the, in the air force uh, as an officer, you had people reporting to you uh, and, and you being responsible for units or what have you. Uh, how did you get into leadership? Uh, kind of a jump from technology to, to really uh, uh, thinking about leadership. Yeah, so I've been been fortunate or unfortunate enough to be the recipient of an awful lot of corporate leadership training from a lot of different organizations. You know, had it at Akamai, had it in the Air Force, had it at Disney. Um, so you get all of this training. And, you know, when I was at Akamai in my last few years there, you know, I've got a huge team of security professionals. So I'm, you know, most of my job is leadership at that point. You know, there's a small piece that's doing the security, but mostly that's delegated. You know, all the fun stuff gets delegated and I have to be a manager. And one of the things that I started to notice, I'd go to some leadership training and or I'd read a leadership book and they basically all felt, and I really hate to say this, but they felt a little cultish. It was like, mm-hmm. here's the one trick. And if you just do this one thing over and over and over again, you'll be an amazing leader. Mm-hmm. And I always felt a little misled. Like take the growth mindset. It's like hugely popular right now. Yes. Um, the growth mindset basically says, don't tell people they're idiots and tell them they can do better. Like that's it. And we, you know, we've basically <laughs> comes out of research that says, if you tell children in, in the classroom that they're stupid and will never learn, well, guess what? They're never going to learn because you break their spirit. And all the growth mindset says is stop doing that thing. It doesn't say like treat everything as a growth opportunity. And when somebody tells you that something won't work, and I've seen managers do this, they go to an expert and they say, hey, here's what I want to do. And the expert's like, yeah, I've tried that seven times in my career. Here's all the ways it will fail. And the manager says, embrace the growth mindset. You can learn how to do it this time. Mm -hmm. That's not the growth mindset. Um, And that's overusing a tool. And so what I started to do for my team is I would say, well, here's the takeaway you should have from this training we just brought in this year, whatever the management fad is, or some article showed up. So let me write down the nugget for you to say, practice this skill, but in moderation. (laughs) And, And I realized along the way, that's actually the secret to leadership. Like there is a secret, which is that there isn't one. It's a skill set like any other skill set. 
Imagine NFL quarterback. There's not one way to be a quarterback in the NFL. You know, Patrick Mahomes does not look like Tom Brady did, who does not right. look like Sammy Baugh did. Like, I can go back to the right. history of quarterbacks, and none of the greats ever looked like one another. Mm-hmm. But there's a set of skills they all practice, and they just leverage different ones. And so that's my approach to leadership, which says you have to invest in the skills because most of what leaders and organizations are doing is actually harming the organization. They're hurting the energy that people are bringing in because they're not applying skills that are needed. So they're you know, not taking care of their people. So the wellness is a problem or people feel excluded. And so you're losing energy right up front or you're not investing in development. So your people aren't getting more skilled and they're not inspired to show up and motivated to do the work that needs to be done. You know, or maybe you're not doing planning or alignment across the organization. And so these sort of yes. six areas of, of disciplines all have lots of skills inside them. So basically yes. that was the book was to say, hey, here's what you need to do as a leader. And then I'm very careful. I say leader and I haven't defined it yet. Yes. To me, a leader is anyone who interacts with the energy that someone is spending to do work. And work mm-hmm. is, you know, for pay, for you're doing social work, you're working in a nonprofit, um, you just got a bunch of friends and somebody does the coordination like to get you together. That's leadership. Yeah. And yeah. so you lead yourself day one. Like you walk into the work, any workplace, you're leading yourself. You're leading the people who look over at you and say, oh, that's how it's supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you can work on leading the organization. But all too often we wait and we say, oh, you are now a vice president. Let's send you to leadership training. Uh, yeah, that happens frequently. Yes. And so I wanted this, to write a book that you know, people would give to their kids when they graduated from high school or maybe even earlier that would be approachable and readable. So it's done as short essays. And I don't try to hide the message. You've probably read books where you get about three chapters in and you think you know what the message is. You read three yeah. more chapters and now you're pretty sure you've got it, but that's all they've got. Yeah. Um, so instead, every chapter, the message is the title. Gotcha. Gotcha. So there's a chapter, well, the chapter on inclusion just starts and the title of it says, inclusion is reducing the energy cost people pay just to exist in a space. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. it. Like that's a so, takeaway and, so, and it's right up like, front. The takeaway is the title, right? Yeah, the takeaway is the title. So read the table of contents, and you get 54 takeaways just in the table of contents. Yeah, wow, that's great. Well, I'm going to tell you, I uh, and I do this a lot, so I'll look at titles of books, and I'll say, oh, okay, I get it. I, I know about that. And yours was one of the ones that I read when it said 1% leadership, and I said, I think I know what this is about. And and, <laughs> and so I had I had to force myself. Uh, to, you know, kind of dig deeper. And I, I, I try to make that a habit and not just think I know uh, without yep. really reading about it. And so it said 1% leadership. So I'll start with here's what I thought and then now what I know. <laughs> but um, what I thought was this, this age-old um, thing we hear in leadership sometimes around um, just be 1% better than you were yesterday. And yep. or 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 set as a goal to be one percent better every day, and then in a hundred days you're you're twice as good as you were a hundred days earlier. You know, so that's that's what I was thinking. It wasn't that um, at all, and and so 
um, as you said, these these different places where you uh, you you give these lessons. I do want to explore um, three of those lessons that that you you actually already have in the in in the description of the book. But I want to go back to this whole idea of one percent improvement because what I thought you were going to say was that you just do the one percent better. And in in the reason I kind of dug a little deeper is because in education we always say, uh, or most of the time say, um, you know, if we if if we take a year to get a one percent better, um, then we it's going to take forever for us to um, to actually make a dent in what is a system that needs to be overhauled. Right. And so, um, so I started out thinking before I started reading, um, I started out thinking, well, but what about, uh, urgency in this model? And, and so, but anyway, that turned out not to be where you went with it. Um, because what I really loved, about what you had to say was that there's just, I mean, what you mentioned earlier, there's no one path to leadership. And there are uh, uh, even, you know, in our program, I have some, some of my students uh, uh, will beg me, tell me what we should do in this situation. And I say, listen, context matters. Oh my God. Yes. You have to think about the context. So think about the example you gave the, the football um, uh, uh, analogy was that uh, the teams are different. In fact, yep. too. So you 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 can have a leader, and then the team, the unit, have a different group of people that wouldn't uh, uh, respond well to a certain kind of leadership. So I think that's that is so important for leaders and, uh, and aspiring leaders to understand. Right. And so it's these skills that you're going to apply and you've got to figure out when to apply which skill and, you know, which ones are like urgent and which are slow. Like I take that 1%. I love your your thing. Like, is it 1% a day or 1% a year? Um, And one of the reasons for the title was so that people could take different messages out of it. And if someone like presented me with that, I would say it's actually, it's both. There are, there is hard work to be done where you're only going to get 1% better over a year or two. But yeah. you got to do that work at the same time. It's like, oh, look, I've got a quick win. I can be 1% better in the next five minutes at this yeah. skill because I'm so yeah. bad at it. But I yeah. can just fix me. But this skill that is my organization, that's going to take a long time to do. And I'll only sure. be 1% better in a year. Yeah. But it's 1% better across 100 people. That's pretty massive. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Like so what- imagine if you could get our whole education system 1% better in the next year, you would absolutely dedicate your next year to improving the outcomes for every single student in America by 1%. Now, would, would you do be, it for only one student? Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. That would be huge. It would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to explore um, a little bit about some of these lessons. So I'll start with the first one that you talk about in the synopsis. Uh, you state, to engage in the present, be of two minds about the future. And I had to think about that one. It's like, be of two minds. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So this one I actually pulled out of, again, football. I hate to use football twice. And I do not, the whole book is not about football. 
Um, but I'm a huge Patriots fan, and yeah, I'm sure everybody knows the story at this point of Super Bowl 51 and that that come from behind moment. Yes. And if you look at the sideline, right, you look at Julian Edelman, and he goes over and he's telling people it's going to be one heck of a story. And I was actually at that football game. My kids were amazingly depressed. Like the first Super Bowl we take them to, and your team is getting slapped. It was it was not pleasant, right? Yeah. And uh, I said to my son, I said, you know, our job as fans here is to cheer for the victory that's going to happen. And he's looked at the scoreboard. And he's like, Dad, it's not going to happen. And I said, that's yeah. okay. Like process the loss. We've already yeah. lost the game. So that's <laughs> one mind for the future says you're going to lose. It's going to fail. And it's okay. At the end of the day, we're cheering for laundry. Like, this is not the end of the world if your football team loses the Super Bowl. Um, But process that and now compartmentalize it because for the next 30 minutes, our job is to aim for that 0.05% chance that our team will win. And we have a job to do, which is be loud in the stadium. Like, that matters for football games. And sort of the lesson here is, and there's a way of managing anxiety. Now, there are people who have chemical anxiety issues, so it's not about you know, replacing that, but just the normal stress and anxiety of you're trying something and it's likely to fail. But sometimes it's worth trying anyway. You don't just give up. But if you fixate on that failure possibility, you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to work on success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just process both of them separately. Say, well, if it fails, what's it going to look like? If it succeeds, what do I need to do? And am I willing to put in that effort to try to succeed and not second guess myself? I know there's a good chance it will fail. I'm ready for when it does fail, what I'll do then. But until that happens, my energy is working on making us succeed. Yeah, that's powerful. I love it. Okay. So the second one you had is four days of great work now are rarely more important than four months of good work down the road. Yep. So I, I work, I've spent a lot of time in tech and we do incident management. So there's a lot of things that go wrong. And one of the things that often happens, or you have crisis with some deadline coming up and as a leader in an organization, you'll often say, Hey, it's all hands on deck. Everybody come in. You know, I need you to work late hours. I need you to get extra work done. Um, or like this incident, like it happened at 6 p.m., nobody's going home, like we're going to work through the night to fix it. And you get great work out of people when they push themselves and they burn their own resources and their own energy. Um, you can get some really great work done. But then they're wiped out and they're exhausted, um, and you probably didn't manage that well, and you, you, over, you burned people out. And how much work are you going to get from them in the subsequent weeks, especially if you don't honor what their sacrifice was? Like, if you're like, great, we just worked a week, like take next week off, like let them recover. But often you go back to this normal. And at some point, the person is just like, what am I doing here? Right. And either their, their, their productivity goes down, they leave your organization, you know, whatever it's going to be. So as a leader, when you're thinking about the wellness of your people, and sometimes you do have to and say, look, I, I do need that. I've got no other choices. But your goal should always be to prioritize the long-term good work over these points of great work, unless you have no other option. So if there's somebody that you always turn to in your organization, like whenever there's a problem, you know, you call up Taylor and you're like, hey, Taylor, can you, can you fix this for us? Um, at some point, Taylor's going to go away. 
And now you have an organization that, first of all, you don't have anybody who knows how to do anything because Taylor was apparently the only one who did it. Um, but you've got an organization where everybody says, well, if I answer the phone and say, yeah, I'll do it, like I'll always be the one on call. So like, how do you take that and say, well, great, Taylor, um, can you teach Brian how to do this? Mm-hmm. And so that next time I'll call Brian and yeah. we'll distribute the work. Um, or what we would do in an incident is uh, one of our, is actually our rule, our guidelines in our technical incident process, which is if the incident lasted for more than one hour, you were required as the incident leader to stop and evaluate and make a guess if it was going to last more than eight hours. Because usually you've got a good indicator if this is a thing you're going to be able to fix quickly or not. Like we're releasing software. It's going to take us, you know, a day to just vet everything. And send home your second team. Say, hey, you guys are going to be picking up this incident in eight hours. So I need you to go home, eat, go to sleep because the people who are running the incident right now can't work more than eight more hours and they're going to give it to you. Don't burn the people out by saying, Oh, have somebody work 16, 25 hours straight. Sure. Because you're harming their wellness and that's not a good investment for you as the, as an organizational leader. Okay. You know, I was going to ask you when you talked about long-term wellness, um, saying that you got to demonstrate it, that it matters. Uh, I was going to ask you, if you were referring to your teams, are you talking about the organization or individuals? It sounds like both. That you're, you're absolutely really has to be both. Yeah, yeah. Like God. if you have if you have a corporate policy around vacation, like does your CEO follow it? If you're like, oh, everybody should take a recharge vacation, you know, two weeks in the middle of the summer or something. If your CEO's not doing it, you're demonstrating it that it's actually not a good choice for anybody else to do from a career yeah. perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I have run across a number of organizations recently, uh, particularly after COVID, that do these um, uh, organization-wide, particularly nonprofits, but these organization-wide yep. uh, vacations or uh, what retreats where they say we're all, for the next six weeks, we're, we're, not, uh, we're not around. And they do yep. them uh, for, so the organization isn't just isn't functioning for six weeks during June or August or whatever they choose. And uh, I was just like, wow, that's a that's a real statement to. Uh, yeah, if that, if that works for your organization, that's great. Um, but if it doesn't work, like find something similar. You know, I had a peer, and I've adopted this from her, and she basically said Fridays. Nobody is allowed to schedule meetings and nobody is allowed to send email. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. You can, you can work on a Friday. That's okay. I'm not going to force yeah. you, but you can't yeah. send email to any of your coworkers and you can't have any meetings with them. And everyone was like, why? She said, I want people to be like, Hey, it's Friday. The weather's nice. I'm going to go to the beach and not have to clear their calendar. Cause it's already cleared. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, right. it's just really powerful statement. Take the day off, right? Right. Yeah, make it easy to take the day off because too often people are like, "Oh my God, I've got four meetings today. I can't take the day off." But the reality is, like, you could take the day off, but you you don't want to deal with that coordination hassle and people look at you weird when you're like, "Yeah, I'm taking the day off for no reason. I just want to feel better." Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, so the last one is. Uh, performance development should be applied to every person on your team. 
Yes. If, if people walked away with only one lesson, this is it. Like if you're a manager, you need to believe this. In, in corporate America today, there are two types of people who get performance development, and you should feel the quotes around that as I said it. Yes. There yes. are the people who are your, your extremely high performers that are at risk of leaving, and so you give them perks that look like performance development but often aren't. It's like, oh, we'll put you in this cohort of people doing something. Um, you know, we'll get you a mentor, but we don't actually have a good mentorship program. So we'll just tell you, you have a mentor and it'll, it'll peter off after a year, but in a year we'll come back to you. Um, or we give you retention shares. So they get something. It doesn't help them be better. It just helps them stick around. And then you take the people who are your bottom 10%, your poor performers, and you give them performance development. We call it uh, the performance improvement plan, which is really the, we're going to document that we're firing you and we're going to spend six months of work to document that this was a justifiable termination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what performance development looks like in corporate America. Yeah. Meanwhile, 85% of your organization, that, that middle of the organization, isn't getting performance development. And that's where most of your work is getting done. And it's almost always people who are trying to grow and develop in their careers, who are eager to take on new things, might be a little bit risk averse, um, and they're, they, they want opportunities, and you're not giving it to them. Yeah. And so my recommendation to every organizational leader at every level is everybody who works underneath you needs a performance development plan that mm-hmm. says here are the next two jobs they could take, and you can have lots of choices for them, not just one job, because everybody will argue and say, I'm ready for my next job. If I say, look, like, you're a teacher, um, I want to – one possibility is you might become an administrator, you know, special programs administrator. You might be a head of a department. Here's all the different choices that might be there down the road. What are the skills you need to develop and what opportunities would help you do that? And then I, as your manager, might be like, oh, we need to send a teacher to go do this curriculum development thing. And uh, let me look at all the people who are interested in curriculum development and on their development plan and send one of them rather than always sending the person who's my highest performer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, go ahead, yeah. go ahead. Because if you invest in those people, first of all, your retention problems will mostly go away in an organization. And when you need new senior people, you don't have to go look for them outside because you have developed them inside your organization. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I am uh, a proponent that leadership is, is science and uh, art combined. You learn yes. a little bit and you, you learn how to apply it. Um, but this, this conversation for me uh, really highlights and underscores my belief that there are strategies that people can hear, like that you, you've, you've really dropped some really sage nuggets here uh, for leaders in all kinds of organizations that I think uh, they can be good strategies. And that, um, but what it really underlines for me is that there, there are um, strategies out there that you can apply that will make your organizations better. Um, but they start with uh, you as a leader becoming more effective. 
I say all the time that as leaders, we have to be intentional and deliberate about the things that we do, that nothing, right? My students tease me a lot because I, I demonstrate through a lot of examples of how intentionality uh, is so important. It's not just that you say, well, I, what I'm saying is I intend to be a good leader. No, it is I've thought about what I'm doing carefully here. And that's where a lot of this, what you're saying, uh, and I love the example you gave about the two mindsets, that if you develop that and practice that, that it is, it can be very beneficial to you and your organization, but it is something you have to work at. And so much yes. of this is just stuff that, that you, you have to know it has worked for some, and, and there's a lot of psychology involved here uh, that we know as human beings, this, these are the things that a lot of people do, and so we can, we can capitalize on that. But it doesn't happen accidentally, and that's the thing that I I discovered as I on my career leadership journey is that a lot of times we think that the that people who are in leadership uh, that they just they they just automatically know what to do, and I say oh you know, goodness so, no yeah, yeah so for some it's kind of like playing golf I'm going to use a sports analogy too is like I remember when I first started playing golf I I would could hit the ball uh, and it would go really far but I couldn't consistently do that and so yep. that's the part here is that being a good leader is about consistently doing making good decisions consistently being effective uh, with with relationships with people you supervise that's the difference and what you're talking about here uh, is is exactly that. So thanks for that. No problem. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate this. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I know we are already out of time. As I told you, 30 minutes goes fast. It um, does. I know that there are people out there uh, uh, that would love to know how to follow you, any social media handles, places where you're speaking next, but particularly your book. I know your book – 1% Leadership, subtitle is Master the Small Daily Improvements that Set Great Leaders Apart. And this is Andy Ellis that I've been talking to. Um, so the book I know is available on Amazon and probably wherever books are sold. But tell us a little bit um, before we go about where people can find you and, and reach out to you. You can find me on almost every social media platform out there. Um, I'm so my handle is CSO for Chief Security Officer Andy. Um, so you find me on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Mastodon, Blue Sky. Yeah, I had to join everything. You know, Instagram. You know, all of those work. Um, my website is probably the easiest way if you just want to get started. You go to CSOandy.com, and the main page has some resources. Like I do a, a weekly leadership newsletter, very short nuggets designed to be consumed in five minutes or less, you know, every Monday morning, there's a link there. Um, so to not overwhelm people, just, you know, CSOandy.com, but you can find me on LinkedIn. I think I post there fairly regularly as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. And so Andy, I'll be uh, watching and listening uh, uh, for, for more. You have some great stuff. Um, so until I see your, uh, I see you again, go well, stay well.
Thank you. And I might have to, to drop in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.